Hi, hi everyone. Uh, good evening. <clears throat> Welcome to the National Academy. I'm Marshall Price, the Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art. And um, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to the last installment for this year of the review panel. Um, before I introduce the moderator this evening, uh, I just want to uh, let you know that we will be having a new round of exhibitions opening in late May uh, with a series of public programs. Um, to find out what public programs we will be having at the Academy, please visit our website. Um, the moderator for the review panel is David Cohen. David is a former gallery director of the New York Studio School and art critic for uh, the what was the New York Sun. David is the publisher and editor-in-chief of artcritical.com. I'm going to hand it over to David, and he will introduce tonight's panelists. David. Thank you very much indeed. And, and as this is the season finale, let me say with a stronger than usual but equally heartfelt conviction, thank you very, very much to this institution, this wonderful, venerable, and rejuvenated National Academy for uh, hosting us and for being the co-instigator of this uh, program. I believe this is the 54th fourth review panel, and I hope we'll see many of you back here in September for the ninth season. Um, put your hands up if this is your first review panel. Right. Okay. Goodness. Excellent. So let me tell you what the format is, um, and in fact, those of you who are seasoned regulars, uh, take note, because the format is a little different from usual anyway. Um, we've all been to see, as, as you all hopefully know, uh, half a dozen artists in seven shows, because one of the artists, Polly Apfelbaum, has a, a, a twofer. Um, and we are going to um, look at them in two batches of, of three or four. Um, and what we do is we have a little PowerPoint presentation with some images which are, in fact, running already. Um, let's, Marshall, actually go back to the beginning, and let's also dim the lights. I will introduce this evening's panelists while we can also uh, feast our eyes uh, on reminders of the shows that we've had the opportunity to go see. So. Uh, we, we will look at these, these images. Uh, the panel will uh, go back and forth on these three shows. Uh, uh, the audience will have a chance to let off a little steam, and then we repeat the exercise for the, the next batch of exhibitions. So my guests this evening are uh, Barry Schwabsky, Maddie Finney, and Lance Estland. From your right to left. Um, Barry and Lance are what I call uh, repeat offenders. That means that uh, Barry has been here three times on the review panel. This, well, this will be your third, That's I believe. Right, yeah. And I believe this is uh, Lance's fourth um, outing. Um, and Maddie, on the other hand, this is her maiden voyage. And <laughs> so, um, uh, but, uh, well, that's just the way it is. So... Uh, Barry Schwabsky is art critic for The Nation and co-editor of International Reviews for Art Forum. He uh, has a long distinguished history in art criticism. He was 
editor of Arts Magazine in the 1980s, for instance, and he's a prolific um, uh, author uh, of, uh, of books and catalogue essays, um, and well-known to all of us for his uh, introductions to the vitamins series in Fiden, for instance, uh, among, among many other publications. Maddie Finney uh, is assistant editor at Art Critical. She's actually about to head off to Buffalo, New York to take, uh, to take a degree, a graduate degree in visual studies. She has uh, expertise in um, uh, critical issues of race and queerness and uh, apparently uh, Buffalo is the place to focus one's mind on those issues <laughs> yeah. more than anywhere else. She is a writer for, among, apart from Art Critical, uh, her writings have appeared at uh, Bomb Blog, V Magazine, um, Art Observed, and uh, Nukta Arts. And Lance Esplund uh, is the US art critic for Bloomberg News. Uh, his prior posts uh, include uh, Distinguished Stint as Chief Art Critic for the New York Sun, where we were colleagues, uh, and more recently for the Wall Street Journal. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. As you will have gathered by observing the PowerPoint presentation, I've made the rather anal retentive decision to divide the evening by uh, medium. Uh, our first course is, uh, consists of uh, things for which you need a camera and the second course of things for which you need um, a hand. And, uh, of course, you need a hand to operate the camera, and uh, you can do things with the hand, which, well, we won't go there. <laughs> so we're starting then with, with the shows of uh, Yang Fudong, uh, Eve Sonneman, uh, and uh, Stan Douglas, 57th Street, down at Zwerner Gallery. Um, and it may seem an obvious thing to say and to start with, but at this stage, a good century and a half after uh, Daguerre and uh, uh, the uh, Lumiere brothers and what have you, such a fantastic uh, range of possibilities with camera-based work uh, within the framework of the visual arts. Um, perhaps Eve Solomon, Barry, perhaps by virtue of their scale and also, in, in fact, by virtue of appearing in the same gallery with uh, works that might critically belong in the second half of my arbitrary division uh, paintings, Perhaps Sonneman offers us um, the most traditional kind of picture-making. Is that fair? What, what, what did you make of Sonneman, and how, how did you relate that experience to the other shows? Well, gee, I was hoping that you'd start off with Yang Fudang, uh, David. Yes, <laughs> the reason, the the reason, reason being? The reason being that, uh, in a way, uh, Yang Fudang has one thing in common, to my mind, with Yves Sonneman, and another thing in common with... Uh, these particular works of of uh, Stan Douglas, which might not be 
especially typical works of Stan Douglas. Um, okay, let's let's take it from and, Yang then. And, uh, and but before I say that, uh, I, we also have to say that Eve Sonnerman uh, actually undoes your whole division here because I've known her photographs for many years and always been interested in them, and I had never. Uh, until this show had any idea that she was a painter uh, as well. And so I was really surprised to find a room of photographs and a room of paintings by her. Uh, so uh, those could already be two different artists, actually. Uh, but if we start with the Sonnenman, who's, who's a photographer that I'm more familiar with, uh, the, the reason I say that she and Young Fudong have, in these shows, have something in common is uh, that it was so striking that they're so much about the framing of the image. Uh, Sonneman has these uh, diptychs of photographs and uh, in each diptych you're looking at the same thing more or less. Usually she seems to have shifted the camera angle a little bit uh, and then of course because some time's passed in, in between her shift of the camera uh, often but not always uh, something in the photograph has moved mm -hmm. as well but you're you're really talking about making an issue of the choice of how to frame the image and then by combining them uh, showing how the two different ways of looking at the same thing come together to create a kind of visual rhythm yes mm -hmm. uh, with the Yang Fu Dong. Let's let's. Uh, that, oh yeah, with the Yang Fu Dong. All right, yeah. you know, with Yang Fu Dong, the the one of the two big pieces there was a, a seven screen uh, projection, and uh, each of these seven screens seemed to f focus on a different protagonist or protagonists uh, that somehow seemed to be in the same space, which was a, a kind of town square. Uh, it was very difficult to figure out how the different parts of the space related to each other, but they seemed to be the same space. Uh, then protagonists would drift out of one frame. You wouldn't see them for a while, and then they'd turn up in another. Yes, and often uh, the car motif, the car would mm -hmm. literally go from one frame to the other, mm -hmm. uh, unifying uh, the disparate views into... Mm -hmm into one locale and also one time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Maddie, taking up um, the, the um, uh, commonality that Barry has identified between uh, Sonnenman and Yang in relation to different views but within the same time and place, mm. uh, same, same time frame and place, mm -hmm. um, which, which the artists do you feel uh, does something more intriguing or satisfying with time, Yang or Sonnenman? Um. I thought that Yang's work was more intriguing only because it was, you know, Sonnenman is clearly, to me, very interested in the snapshot, the moment, the ephemera of the idea of taking a photo in one second, and then the second passes, and another photo is taken. Um, I thought that Yang was more interested, more interesting only because it was watching a narrative unfold rather than kind of watching moments pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there really a narrative, though? Or, or is it just I moments kind of strung out as if they yeah. were a narrative? Lance, did, did one of the, those two shows, Yang or Sonnenman, have a stronger sense of, a more compelling sense of narrative for you? 
Well, I think the definition of a narrative basically is the idea if you have one person, one figure, it's probably not a narrative. But if you have two figures, it's definitely a narrative. Whether the narrative is clear mm. um, is another thing. Um, whether Yang Fudong is clear about what his narrative is, I don't think he is. Um, that's another story entirely. In the, in the interview, he talks a lot about the unreality of things and trying to get it, you know, what is truth. And so he asks a lot of existential questions. I don't think he really um, explores them very much. Um, I, I don't know. I, was, I, I really liked the, when I first saw his work, the Seven Intellectuals in a Bamboo Forest mm -hmm. back in like 2003 in Miami, I think it was. And I thought it was one of the strongest works I saw in Miami at that time. And I haven't seen the entire series, but I think at this stage, maybe he's got too much production value behind him, too much production, uh, too much money, possibly. I felt that the, but that both of the films that we saw, um, one was 20 minutes long, seven frames. The other one was one frame and about 10 minutes long, that they were really over-stylized and got even to the point of being sentimental. Um, so for me, they were kind of, they were a little unbearable. Um, uh -huh. like, uh, and, and I thought the metaphor, the larger metaphor, maybe was purgatory or something. Um, but it really did feel like he was trying to suspend you in some place between places. But, but the idea of the between just wasn't that exciting for me because I didn't feel like he'd established what had happened before or after. There was some, I, I just felt like he's lost as an artist in these films. But, uh, Whereas Solomon? Um, I didn't really care much for that show. I find I thought the paintings were were um, decorative and and basically formless and just kind of uh, I I don't know. I thought they were. Uh, Sorry, did you say formless or formless? Formless, formless, no form, um, flat, decorative. I, I just wasn't really interested in them. I thought the titles were kind of sophomoric. Um, you know, you got the idea. Oh, she's alluding to this or that. The, the best photographs for me were the uh, mannequins in the mm -hmm. windows, which reminded me a little bit of Atjay. And I'm not sure, you know, those Atjay uh, mannequins. And, and for me, that was, or something maybe out of Ellie Nottleman or something, those little dolls. Mm -hmm. But so for me, that was, those two photographs were the most compelling. I'm not convinced by, I think that there's a gimmick there for her of doing the one second before and then the next second. I, the, the sense of a cinematic idea of one thing happening and then another, you know, who gives a damn um, that this happened this time? And, you know, like, I thought they were better as individual images, that putting them together doubled it, but didn't give you more than... Wasn't symbiotic. It wasn't, it, yeah, it didn't, it, you know, they didn't come together in a way that, for me, said, it's like, so what? Okay, this was before and that was after, whatever. Well, that's funny uh, yeah. how you, you, you say cinematic, because I've, I've recently taken to wearing contact lenses, and um, it, it's one of those sort of deus ex machina... Um, events in one's life that make you suddenly realize what you should, as an art critic, have realized long ago, and that is that when you look out at the world, you're looking through two eyes, and, and that really uh, isn't something necessarily to take for granted. So uh, rather than thinking of cinema, I, I much more think of uh, stereoscope and stereoscopic uh, um, sort of games and uh, from, the, from the late 19th century. Where you get an almost three-dimensional image from the two. From the, exactly. Uh, the sort of games that Proust writes about in, in, in interminable length, uh, uh, rewardingly interminable length. Um, but uh, so actually, to me, it's not simply a, a, a way of um, making a story up by having mm. the diptych in uh, Sonnemann, but it's a way of um, problematizing, enriching... Uh, uh, um, uh, breaking down and then reconstituting the, the, the act of seeing. So I I, uh, I I still want to insist on my use of the word rhythm. To me, uh, what was interesting 
about them was that I could actually stand back from them uh, to a point where I wasn't exactly comparing the two images, but they were becoming uh, a repeated form, where, but only partially repeated. In other words, some repetition, some variation, almost like a kind of syncopation. And uh, uh, I thought she, she used that in a, in a pretty formally interesting yes. way. Uh, I found it engaging. Yes. And I, I think actually, while I wouldn't rush to make a, a very strong defense of, of Solomon's paintings, um, I like their inclusion here. They're rather like Cartier-Bresson's uh, drawings. They're like they're her vice that we tolerate because she's so, <laughs> so good a photographer. But actually hearing you say that, Barry, makes me feel that their inclusion here points us in the direction of the rhythmic quality in the photographs. They, they, they would do that more if uh, somehow they were more spatially interesting in the way that I find mm. her photographs are. They're, certainly, you know, they're working with elements of rhythm because they're using yes. repeti repetition. She has that kind of little, uh, kind of, what do you call it, uh, those kind of sweet and sour candies that I used to suck on as a kid. Lifesaver, that kind of lifesaver ah. form <laughs> that she's building up a lot of these mm. paintings out of. And clearly she intends a kind of, uh, you know, meditative, lulling rhythm with, with that form, I think. She's stronger, I think, as a watercolorist, not included in the show, mm. than as an oil painter. But, um, Maddie, do you have any final thoughts on Sonoman? Sonoman, uh, you mentioned your preference for, for Yang, but what, what, I don't think what was I have a the... Preference for, well, I, I think that Yang was enjoyable to watch. Um, I think Yang was interesting only because it, you know, it was very much about kind of the staging, designing the set, costumes, all of that's really fun. Yes. Um, I thought, you know, the Sonnemen seemed to be accessible only that they were snapshots, mm. maybe that someone would take on vacation. <laughs> right. Um, you know, also obviously referencing the notion of artificiality in the same way that Yang was, kind of with the picture of uh, Santa Claus and Ken. But don't you feel, as, as I, I sense Lance feels, yeah. that actually the high production values that Yang brings to his um, works um, are better left to Hollywood or, or to, the, to the big screen where they're put to better, put to more significant um, effect. Isn't it rather um, precious and out of place to have such uh, high production values for uh, works that don't have uh, 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 an obvious narrative use. Well, and what's the relation between narrative and high production value? Well, it's, it, they're moving images, uh, and they take time, and we have to sit there and watch it to get it all. Uh, but uh, what we might go away with is actually something that we would get from uh, a still image uh, that was uh, skillfully uh, dispatched, because there, because the the narrative the, t the narrativity isn't in itself compelling. There, there were still photographs of, of also high production value by by Yang. There were some, yes, of the, the girls in the swimming pool. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I, in other words, I I I I'm also a little bit suspicious of his 
production values, but but not in not in the sense that I think well it would be fine, you know, in a movie theater, but not in an art gallery. That that I don't think it's any more fine in the movie theater than in an art gallery if it's if it's not fine. Uh, well, and but, not, not but, because it's not because it's a movie theater and you're buying a ticket, and it's not because of economic reasons. It's because when you when you commit ninety minutes to a movie, uh, some there there are some indie movies which are virtually narrative free and and uh, or not don't follow conventional narrative, but usually um, all that effort they're dressed up, but they do have somewhere to go. Um, well, but wasn't it also? Well, but wasn't it also sort of a commentary on that staging and that, you know, what is the value of this glossy, elegant Mm. production? I I would simply say to Lance, actually, that um, I think, I was there recently, but I, um, too briefly to be an expert, but my my sense is that the Chinese, uh, over the centuries and most certainly right now, have... um, a much higher threshold than the West does for, for high production value, uh, for finesse, and for sentiment. So, yes, you're right. For That's us, a really broad uh, generalization, David. It's, it's, it's uh, yes, any generalization is going to be broad, but I, I actually uh, don't mind. Okay, there are, of course, you can... Okay, it's a broad generalization, but if you look at... Uh, a lot of traditional Chinese painting, for instance, um, the degree of uh, mastery and uh, finesse that is taken as a standard um, is um, is very very high. And same in classical Western painting. Same in classical Western cinema. Well, but do you honestly think it's cultural? Um, I think that yes. I think that uh, uh, that some some national cultures are um, more or less susceptible than others to different degrees of, um, of finesse. Well, he claims to be also a student of film and someone who's very interested in Chinese film in particular from the 1940s. It could, you know. <laughs> I, I think he wants to be Kurosawa. Um, and I think he's yeah. so far off the mark that um, it's just, you know, he needs an editor for one thing. Uh, there was one. There was one frame where whatever the samurai, whatever the baron, I don't know what he was, but he was lying on the on the ground, and you had to wait three minutes to get to it. It was just a close up of his face, and when that hit me, it was like, oh, that's compelling. Like, start there. Like, cut mm. the first three minutes, mm. you know, and start there. And and that reminded me of something that Kurosawa would, would do. You know, mm. we're like, who is this guy? Where we have these questions. But he, he moves us so slowly, and we just plod along, and the music is so over the top. And, yeah. the, and you know, like, it's like one of, the, one of the young women, she's wearing her sundress, and at one point, there's snow falling, and we're supposed to understand that she's cold because she goes like this once. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hello, what, what is this crap, you know? Can, can you at least um, give us some, some real emotion, you know? It's just, it, it's just I, whoever it was, Tarkovsky or Bergman or Kurosawa, you know, one of the... One of the big guns, okay, mm-hmm. said that sentimentality is unearned emotion. And I feel like that film was completely unearned from start to finish. Um, it is, he is, you know, he's, he is, he does have something. But um, I, I think he's, he's just not mature enough or something to be able to. Well, in that interview you know, that you were talking about, didn't he say something about being interested in, um, 
you know, real feelings and then the depiction of feelings. Yeah, exactly. What's a fake feeling right. versus a real feeling? And because he was talking about there's a, a Chinese idiom for wearing your heart on your sleeve, and yet there's also an, a, a derivation of that that says you wear your heart on your sleeve. I didn't really understand it, but you also project something fake at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like you, you show two different sides, and he went into yin and yang, and you know he lost me there. But um, but that yeah, there was something fake. He was interested in the idea yeah. of something fake, hmm. and you know I think that that's a, a common problem in a lot of contemporary art right now, where there's that interest in the comment upon the thing, or being fake, or making a reference to, but then when you take out all those references, what are you left with? Um, you know, it's like he's, it's a lot of ambiguity, and I don't, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. like a, an art of ambiguity and stylization for right. me. That's really what he's, where he is. Yes. Um, Barry, um, you were going to uh, suggest ways in which Yang and Douglas also relate. You related Yang and Sonnerman. Yeah. What, do you, can you recall how you're going to take us into Yang and yeah, Douglas? Yeah, I mean, we, we're already kind of going there because the, the, the way that I see Yang and Douglas relating is to this idea of the, the artifice of, of historical reconstruction, mm -hmm. and, uh, which, again, is, is something that's very recurrent in, in a lot of recent art. And... Um, in a sense, that's the side. It's the side of Yang that I'm not interested in. You know, if the, I'm interested in in how he he deals with framing and things moving in and out of the frame, uh, I'm not interested in this uh, art of historical reconstruction because somehow I, I, I mean, maybe this is just a different way of repeating what some of you have already said, but I, it just gives me the sense that well, yeah, you know, if you invest enough in sort of uh, art directing the thing to the within an inch of its life, then you'll get something that looks like a slicker, blown up version of something that you've seen as a historically uh, precise but, document. It's of funny that things. photography kind of began there too with where they, the, the paintings were re, you know, remade and um, they have these scenes that were remade you know, back in the 19th century where they are you know, very heavily staged with you know, mythology and, I mean, mm -hmm. so, sure. yeah, so, so it's, it's been there from the start, mm -hmm. or trying to recreate something that happened before, or a painting, or, um, you know, I feel like it's a very, anyway. Well, I mean, the whole history of Western painting is, 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 is mostly uh, Greek mythology, the Bible, and Roman history, so, I mean, we, um, and, and, you know. But, 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 but when you, you know, if you painted, uh, let's say, the crucifixion, you painted it without knowing what the crucifixion looked like. You know, you. Well, no, whereas, whereas some, some moments would would put it in contemporary Florentine dress, but other people like uh, Rembrandt would work jolly hard to to not make it look like 17th century Dutchman. Mm. So I mean, that goes back and forth. But well, that was the challenge for Giotto. How do you paint God? Suddenly, you know, you've never seen him. What you know? Who are you to mm. paint God? You know, what did Christ look like? You know, it's like, I mean, he he was successful. That's um, what the Jews said. What? Yeah, <laughs> the Jews and the Muslims uh, raise that objection and um, <laughs> stick to tiles and illuminated manuscripts. Yes, and calligraphy. But um, uh, Maddie, do you do you have trouble then with uh, uh, Douglas's uh, historicizing? No, again, I thought it was fun. I thought it was costumes and it was sets and all of. That. It was incredibly editorial. Um, you know, in all of the literature, it talks about. It's clearly. 
you know, the photos are obviously contemporary, being that they're these gorgeous, elegant digital prints. Um, I thought it was kind of, I thought the disco scenes were kind of intentionally lame. I don't know mm-hmm. if, you know, it's, uh, you've, I've heard filmmakers say you can never fake a good party. I felt like, you know, mm-hmm. um, I liked them though. Yes. Did they have, um, did they, uh, that you liked them, but did they yeah. instill in you a sense of um, melancholy or foreboding? Did they feel, uh, uh, did they, um, uh, did they have a subject, really, uh, beyond their own execution and, and, and research? Um, did, did you go away thinking that there was something poignant in them, for instance? Um. Not as individual images, um, though I recognize the relationship between Angola and the disco movement in New York that he was trying to draw in terms of two kind of, you know, talking about disco as a sort of underground, small, unexposed style of dance and style of music and style of dress and Angola is being kind of unknown, small and then suddenly getting press around the world. Yes, but also Lance um, there's a melancholy in both these situations isn't there? With the... I think so, I thought they were convincing in that aspect the disco scenes and having lived through disco the first time around mm. um, I, you know, for me it's a little depressing as a subject but um, you know, I was reminded of uh, also photographs of parties never look fun. You know, yeah, it's like you're thing. seeing them through sober eyes. You know, um, but you know, I was reminded of in the Richard Tuttle retrospective um, that was at I think the Guggenheim or no, Whitney, I guess the Whitney a few years ago. And there was one piece of his um, that was just a single balloon that was a little bit deflated, and he had taped it to the bottom of the. Um, of a wall with a string going up and it had that you know for me it had that kind of melancholy power of like oh my god you know after the party like when you get up the next day and you realize that you have to clean up this mess and I think that there was something about the disco photographs that had that quality in them the lameness the um, you know I think I think that they were convincingly um, put together did they do something more than that were they poignant no for me they were they were um, once you recognize the artifice of them uh, you just kind of like, okay, now I can move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was not, I, you know, they were about themselves in a sense. Yeah. So I thought they closed down at the moment when you realize that it's artifice, which I, don't, I guess is some kind of irony he's working with on some level. I don't know. I don't care. Yes. And, and the sheer scale then of, of, of these as images of the 70s, but in the what are usually sumptuous, glorious David's Werner galleries, suddenly became to me. Uh, portentous and ridiculous. I'd rather I've got more from those images on the website than I did <laughs> in that huge scale, and it just seemed pompous and overblown and inappropriate to uh, the, the the poignant potential of the images in the project. Well, there was one gorgeous landscape. Do you remember? Oh the yes, with the with the yes. guys hanging around, the menacing yeah. oh, looking. Oh, the, the checkpoint. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, the yes. checkpoint. The checkpoint. Oh, the checkpoint. Yeah. Yes. yes. That, that was that, actually also the most um, foreboding of image. I, I mean, think that, so. that, that incited real fear looking at it. Well, and that scale made sense. I mean, the scale made sense for the disco prints, too. They were all about... Human scale? 
all, well, all about all about figures well, all lost about in glamour big space. and uh -huh. you know I saw them being that they were so editorial. Mm -hmm. You know, it looked like a poster on a wall. I thought that that part that made sense. The the actual disco um, location, the, the one that's I guess in Angola with the party where you got the what what must have been a, a Portuguese convent or something. So you got uh, uh, there's a there's a virgin on the mantelpiece, the, the guy in that very sort of polyester Russian looking suit, and the um, uh, the, 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 the his 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 partner. Almost sort of transgendered-looking woman. Oh. Um, uh, this, the, 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 what's going on there in terms of uh, signifiers? It's not a gorgeous, sumptuous space. It's a really pathetic space. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's colonial, already cheap colonial pseudo grandeur um, in a point of decay, and really lost people. I mean, the, the people are supposed to be and, and are very lost, but you then. For that kind of lostness, someone like uh, uh, Wolfgang Tillmans would sort of uh, bring a more appropriate kind of lens than this high production value lens. There's, no, there's, a, there's, a, there's a radical disconnect between uh, the scale and, and the mode of execution and the subject in these works, I think, exactly. with the exception of the landscape, as you say. Mm. Well, let's hear from our audience on these three shows, then. We have other shows too, right? We have oh, some more shows. Okay. We're going we're gonna to have a little. We're going to have a break now to hear the audience let off steam. Uh, there'll be a roving mic. They don't have to be questions. Comments are good. Share your views on any or all of these three shows. Either something in defence of one of these shows, or a further critique, or um, uh, relating one to the other. Sonoman, Yang, Douglas. Uh, yes, wait for the mic, if you would. Well, that's because we 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 had the chance to see the image. We can run through them again as we as we talk. Oh, the the installation shots. I'm sorry, that's just to give a general sense. Uh, Marshall, do you want to run it again? Um, Yeah, they're all there. They should all be there. They're not all installation shots. You can see that it's an installation. You just, I mean, you can, you're not supposed to examine the works from that. It's when you come on afterwards, unless they got left out. I don't think they got left out. Oh, damn. I'm sorry. Uh, my assistant... Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. We let you down. I, I, I had no idea. Well, those are just installation shots, and if you wait a moment, they, they are those. Those are the works. Okay, uh, I'm afraid I plead guilty. We were supposed to have all the works in the Zwerner show um, in the PowerPoint. Uh, and we didn't. But or, uh, then again, we should also have been to see the show. So I'm sorry. Uh, come back for the podcast and where we will certainly include them. Um, yeah. So that technical aside, anybody 
wish to make any comments on the three shows we've been talking about. Really? No. 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 Yes. Okay. I think it was either Lance or Barry was commenting on uh, the uh, Fudong uh, playing with a lot of money. I, I thought that the film sets were deliberately extremely tacky. I mean, to me, hmm. it looked like uh, construction with uh, fake snow on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it definitely looked like a model and not like a uh, real thing. And I'm just looking at these photos now. I, I hope that he saw the uh, Laurie Simons uh, show that, or her last show that we was the subject of a uh, past panel. That was David's uh, concern about the... <laughs> about what? About the uh, budget or whatever. For I think I young. introduced it, but maybe, I don't know, we did talk about it. Yes, I think that, but, but as with uh, the, the, the Stan Douglas, I think that um, actually the the tawdriness and the fakeness uh, is deliberate and is part of the, yeah. But um, so, it, it, yes, it would have cost even more to go out into real snow in the Arctic or something, but um, actually it's, it's already high production value enough to get a tacky low production look um, that's, all, that's convincing. He's playing with the soundstage thing, you know, where you're yeah. supposed to be outside but you're not, you know. Which gives it that f sort of... 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, exactly. Even with the echoes Kurosawa. of the sounds. Actually, that, that one really seemed to, seemed to reach back further to the silent era. That seemed more of a 20s. Uh, the big one in Shanghai, but not the not this one. The the one uh, the single. The screen. last man cometh. Ah. Whatever it was. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It struck me from uh, watching the Fudong and the and this or seeing the Fudong and and the Stan Douglas that it's not just a commentary on the past, but to me they seemed almost like bad dreams of old films. Uh, they always suggest kind of what you might see in a in a nightmare after you'd seen the film. Uh, people isolated. Uh, strange people together, modern, I mean, people in modern dress and people in ancient dress and just, I, I, and it seems to me that there's also a, a kind of tendency in, 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 certainly in photography, current photography, but also in, in, in certain painting today of sort of bringing historic images sort of out of context and combining them in this sort of surrealistic swirl. Mm -hmm. He talks about the dream metaphor as one of his major interests in the interview in the catalog. Didn't he also explain to, I don't know if I understood this, I, I think I understood this correctly, that the warrior that's shown uh, that, you know, this, in this first moments on the snow, all of the other figures, all of the other characters in that film are designed to be ghosts of him. I don't know if that means potential possibilities or his past. There was clearly a historical, you know, I think that that made sense in terms of the historicism of the different time periods, of the self-existing in different time periods. I, it was obviously dreamlike. Yes. I 
I buy that. Oh. Yes. Solomon's work inspiring any comments from our audience? Or, or um, okay, you can take the horse to water, but, yeah. Can I ask one quick question? It yes. occurs to me at the end of at least one of the Fudong films, it says thanks and it lists uh, the Marion Goodman Gallery and I, uh, Shangard, if I'm not mistaken. Um, do you know what that means in terms of the relationship between Marion Goodman and the artist? Well, it's quite common to thank your dealers helped you put on a show uh, if it's a high production value. Yeah, if you look in the back of any catalogue, it's usually a thank and you to always Coca Cola. Always Coca Cola. Yes. Always Coca Cola. Hmm. I'm sorry. It's the catalogue, not the art itself. Presumably, part of their production budget was put up by the gallery. Yes. Yes. Normal. I mean, it's a film, so it's not... Uh, yes, it would be strange to see it on a painting, thank you, you know, but uh, in a film, it's the normal thing to have credits, and credits uh, usually thank people who've provided a service or some cash, which is a service as well. Yeah, but, but thank you, fair enough. Let's move on, then. Let's look, let's look at our... Um, let's look at the work of Ron Gorchov and... Polly Applebaum, recipient announced today of the Rome Prize, mm. and uh, Douglas Florian. So Lance, three abstract artists, three colorists, three artists for whom texture and shape and gesture all coalesce. I find or them not. to be, or not, I find them to be three rather superb artists. I'd be hard-pressed to say, to nominate the one of the three to, to put forward as, as um, the one that gave me the most pleasure. Do you have a similar dilemma? Um, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> I think um, of the three, Gorchov is the most compelling. Um, I... I'm still not convinced by them. I don't think that they achieve a certain kind of gestalt. And I think that, um, I think they're compelling in that they brought me back to them. They, they're concave and, con concave and convex at the same time. They, re they remind me of shields and of a number of other kinds of things, relics. And, um, but, you know, the staples are left. The, the fabrication is made clear. And, and I, I don't think, I think that the, the precedent here is somebody like Jean Arp, who creates abstract forms that actually um, twist in the plane, they, they feel alive, they suggest many different kinds of things. And I think that Gorchov kind of pairs it all down to a point that he kind of sterilizes these forms that could be very organic and very exciting. I mean, with somebody like Arp, you get a torso and a piece of fruit, and it's erotic, and it's also like a snake, and then it's like you know, all of these different things um, with just a, a single flat form. And then it twists in the plane and does all this. And I think that some of these, these forms for, of Gorchov's for me feel a little um, canned, uh, like, it, it's a, like it's something that he's doing over and over again. And the titles for me, <laughs> um, 
to me, kind of had nothing to do with, they didn't take me, I, I think of titles, especially with something like this, and ARP is, uh, you know, it should be like little poems that give you a place to begin with a painting. And for him, he's, you know, one is called Diana, another one is called, whatever, Artemis, another one is called, you know, Don't Touch Me, referring to the... Molly uh, um, Yeah, yeah. And um, of Christ and Mary Magdalene. And, and, and yet... You know, it reminds me, I was seeing, the, I was th looking at the paintings, and I hope I don't offend anyone, but I was, and I think, and like I said, I do think that they're charming to a degree, and I, and I do think the color is rich to a degree. I just don't think they really come together. But I was reminded of a painting professor I had in graduate school who was talking about Barnett Newman's passions of the cross, uh, you know, the passion. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, he said, for cross. what, yeah, the Stations of the Cross, he said, for what this, this, that series has to do, and I like Barnett Newman, but, but he said, for what that series has to do with the Stations of the Cross, that series might as well be called Two Dogs Fucking. And I think that there's a, there's a place in here where, where for me, the titles um, become too highfalutin. And they also aren't specific enough, so they close the works down for me instead of opening them up. Because it's like, well, that's Diana, but in what way is it Diana? How is it Diana? How are you exploring Diana? Um, how are you exploring this? You know, putting two forms there doesn't tell me anything really more about Diana in a sense. It, it feels applied. Um, but I did think he was the most compelling. The Right. The other... <laughs> okay. So, uh, so, um, so, well, let's hold back. Okay, obviously, sure. Applebaum and Florian are in for a treat. But uh, let, let's, uh, let's deal um, with uh, some of the issues that Lance is, is raising in relation to, uh, to Gorchov. Uh, Maddie, for me... Um, the comparison with ARP um, isn't really very helpful because with ARP, each piece is a very specific shape and it is as much sculpture... Right, you want specificity as, in painting? And it is as much... Yeah. With ARP, it's as much a sculpture as it is a painting. With Gorchov, Gorchov has a way of presenting his painting. Gorchov paints on a Gorchov surface rather than the ubiquitous given uncontested stretched rectangle on a frame. But that's, you, you kind of get used to that. You, so to my eye, you, in, you enjoy that and you benefit from that, but you don't have to rethink the uh, Gorchov concave convex saddle form each time any more than you would if you're looking at Rothko say, ah, interesting, he's stretched canvas on a rectangular frame this time. Well, he, does all, he does every time. So this is just Gorchov's way of doing business. Yeah, but and you still have to convince that it's a necessity. Um, you know, the rectangle is something we've inherited. Uh, you know, there's a tradition there. And so if you're going to reinvent the tradition, then convince me that there was a need to do it every time. Um, with, Isn't with it better order, to take the opposite you know? view? If you're going to use that same boring old tradition, at least convince me that there's a reason to do it. <laughs> well, I'm saying, but the rectangle, I mean, you know, it worked for Titian, you know, uh, worked for Mondrian. It's like it, yeah. it, it, there is there is something there, you know. It, it, there's there's something to to doing to experimentalism for its own sake too. There's something for what? to to experimentalism for its own sake. This is I, the thing that he's invented. I disagree. I mean, not for its own sake. Um, I mean, I if think tradition for to, its own. Yeah, I'd take it before tradition for its own sake. If we're, if we're going by, there, when you accept tradition, then you explore the tradition and you understand. And then you rework the tradition. You you extend the tradition. When you start over, as he's doing with a form that is um, suddenly coming out of left field and you don't convince us that, it was an, that it's a necessary form, that, it's, that it means something to Diana, that it also means to 
this painting. You know, like why don't we just leave Diana? I mean, you know, he. I'm just the, saying, the, you know, the, like, the, the, the titles. titles, the titles yeah. So if they were they all untitled, they don't you know, matter. You know, t- titles are are when. Well, so is he being ironic? It, with it the doesn't titles? matter. Just think he's a forget bad titler. You can be a great painter. Get titles. You know, uh, listen, Clement Greenberg. Clement Greenberg said Jackson Pollock was terrible at titles. You know, he may have been right, but you know, you look mm. at the you look at the painting yeah, and you exactly. see it for what it is. Jackson Pollock was painting Moby Dick. And James Johnson Sweeney came to visit. He looked at the painting. He walked out. They had a nice studio visit. As he was leaving, he says, great painting, but call it Pacify. And it's called Pacify. And now, does that close it down? Is it about Pacify? Does it do something with Pacify? Forget Pacify. Go and read Moby Dick. It's a painting. I mean, Tom Noskowski calls all of his works untitled brackets, 201-6. Does that close it down? Does that open it up? It's a t- well, so, there's a tradition of using the word untitled, too. Yes, that's but a tradition. That's a tradition, which right. is tired and is a convention and is, and is inconvenient. And he's got the tradition of saying, oh, I'll call it Diana, I'll call it, uh, you know, Nolly Maytangelo. But I think that that's, there's a, it, it, if they don't mean anything, if, they, if we're supposed to ignore them, then um, I, think it's a, I think it's kind of, um, you're not being very, you're not being very, uh, conscious of your of your viewer, you're you're kind of being. If they don't matter, and I'm not putting this in his mind, and you know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying this was his intention. But if they don't matter, if it's uh, it, then uh, then you're giving missing. You're you're giving us two different ways to think about this. Well, yeah. I, I well, was simply trying to mm. get us off course. Right. You know, I'm not even. Well, unless his point is these titles are so ridiculous. Obviously, they don't matter. I. I would say, I would suggest, if the titles work for you, I'm glad I gave you a good title. And if they don't, at least you've got an easier way to remember the painting than a number sequence that you'll never remember. So it's a win-win situation with these titles. And, and it's a, a red herring as well. It's a, it seems to be fairly mild. I mean, if the, I mean, they could if be the called titles... two feet on, on a scale, on a, on a bathroom scale. Mm-hmm. You know, because to me, that's the first thing I think of when I see every, all mm-hmm. of them, two feet on a bathroom scale. Um, Okay, but calling it Diana, so, so it's Diana's two feet on a bottom scale. It didn't, didn't say it's the goddess of uh, chastity, it just said it's someone called Diana. And Diana has two feet. Even the goddess of chastity has two feet. So, I mean, fine, it doesn't, it doesn't actually close it down for your metaphor. Maddie, what do the titles mean to you, and is, that, is, it, um, is it important or not? Um... Or tell us your take on Gorchov. Yeah, I just, I didn't really care about the titles. I didn't read the titles until I had gone through and looked at all of the work. Um, I, I only heard the titles this evening. I didn't really? even look at all. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, I didn't look at the titles either, I have to admit. I just, because I see, went I in there and gallery, I just I saw the list, I just seemed to me that yeah, this was no. the, kind of an ab- the kind of abstract painter for whom the titles are just there to give a uh, convenient hook to be able to refer to the painting to. It never occurred to me to think that he would have an interesting, you know, or revelatory title. I just thought I was supposed to look at the paintings like that, with, you know, without, uh, you know, a caption. That was so the, the uh, how about the saddle form, the, the, the Gorchov support? Um, is, it, is it incumbent on Gorchov to re-argue with each painting he does, the Gorchov support? Or can he, um, can he have us just take his support as, as his convention? I think that that's what he's decided to do. Um, I think that the works are very much about balance and tension as creating balance or enforcing balance. I think that the surface of the work, the way that the paint is thinly applied, the way that it's it's flattened and the, the 
the shapes don't have a lot of movement. It's very much about the colors on the canvas. And then you have, I, I don't think that they are sculptures, but you have the sculptural form that is the canvas. Or not the canvas, the, 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 the wood, yeah. The thing. The thing. By the way, what about the, there were the two pieces that were different, that there were these kind of stacked uh, yeah. Yeah. which I had not, I, I've seen this work before, but I've not seen Well, they relate to those walk-through gates that he's done in the past. Okay, yeah, see, I don't know them, but I, I, I actually like those um, better than the, the more familiar saddle-like mm-hmm. ones, because, uh, well, first of all, I think Somehow, I prefer him as a kind of quasi-monochrome painter uh, without the forms floating in it, which uh, maybe like Lance, I don't find entire—I I don't find entirely uh, compelling as forms. And uh, somehow, uh, in those pieces, there was a real sense of a kind of. Uh, biological growth as if a plant that, you know, develops the next sort of ring or whatever, and it, it, it added something to the sort of pro- progression of the, of the color somehow to have this sort of visual uh, biological <laughs> metaphor. Did the stacks work for you better than the saddles? I, well, Barry's convincing me more about them, just hearing him talk about them. They, they didn't, they weren't the things that in the show that, um, you know, I, I wasn't taken to them. You know, I wasn't, uh, I was more interested in the singular objectness of the other things, the other paintings, the saddle forms. Uh, for me, their, their duration wasn't, uh, it didn't, it seemed to begin and end abruptly. And for the scale, there's something wrong about the scale to me for them. Like maybe they should have been twice as tall or something. Um, so, you know, I, I, I didn't think that they worked that well coloristically, but but I do agree with you that there is something more to, they're, they're more, there's more integrity maybe to the forms in relationship to the colors, and you know, as a larger idea of what a, is it a sculpture, is it a painting, you know, it does suggest a kind of progression of growth or something, you know. Yeah, kind of ragcoosy, endless column yeah. idea or something, yeah. Yeah, I would put up a defense with Gorchov um, for the two forms uh, in, in echelon or in dialogue or in opposition uh, or dancing on the concave convex saddle um, form. Um, my experience of the Gortov show, I mean, I've been a big fan for, for years and uh, uh, enjoyed seeing the show, but I, it really something, uh, my Gortov appreciation turned uh, a big corner, actually, uh, when I went to see his show with a friend and I said, okay, well, let's, let's look at Gottlieb first. Uh, Gottlieb, uh, a canonical, but really history has kind of decided second-tier canonical, um, first-generation abstract expressionist, and uh, an artist for whom the kind of the problem of formula is uh, crucial. I mean, with, with Gottlieb, it's the, uh, you know, the, the splatter underneath and the one or two uh, orbs above, my, my, uh, and the big ground. My, and the, my old friend Norman Bloom, whenever Gottlieb's name came, would say, ah, moon over Miami. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, so to me, that's why you, 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 Gottlieb is almost the paradigm of a problematic abstract expressionist. You see why it went on. And, and, and so with Gorchov, 
he's a, he's an he's an unusually kind of he's a kind of historical refugee in a way because he's a, he's a grand old man now, but he he got going very very young and was actually in sensibility and in association. Even though his career, if you look at his career, it feels like a career that sort of really got going in the 70s, 80s. Um, actually, as a person, he was there and sort of supping at the table with the old, last old generation, first generation abexes. And his sensibility is rather more with theirs. And so I, I look at his work and say, okay, yes, like those first generation abstract expressionists, he's an artist who has to have his way of doing business. Uh, Rothko's way of doing business is all the more compelling than Gottlieb's, but then there's Gorchov, and yet this is an artist who could only be doing this now, and that seemed to me uh, a revelation, that you, your sensibility is, is in the 40s and 50s, but what you actually achieve could only be achieved now, and um, because you couldn't paint with the, I think, the kind of, um, with many of the elements that are in Gorchov then, but you can but he does now. And um, uh, it seemed to me that I, I accepted his saddle form. Each time it rewarded me by doing things spatially with the supporting image. And each and every image was completely unique in itself, unlike the Gottlieb. I've totally convinced you all. You can't dare argue. Uh, we're, we're dumbfounded that you find them so unique. Um, no, I mean, they... Uh, yeah, I don't see how you could find the images unique. The, I could say the paintings could be unique, but the images aren't, if, if you catch my distinction. The, as, as images, they all seem variations on one theme. He does a lot of different things with this theme because he, he can do a lot of different things with paint, with color, but uh, but also, but, with, but it's it doesn't seem they don't they're unique only in the same sense that each Gottlieb is unique. Right. Um, sorry, not later. Um, no, I, I I think it's because I think of them. I think of the format, for instance, as being like a sonnet. So um, you know, no one says, "Oh, that's Shakespeare." You know, every single one is fourteen lines long, and each line has this number of pentameters in it. No, I mean, uh, iambic pentameters. No, I mean, it's, it's a form. And it's, uh, I mean, with Shakespeare's, that's an inherited form. So I think you can be very expressive within a very tight range of um, formal devices. And I think it's, it's, it's uh, that, you know, some of those forms are mirror images. Some of them are in a kind of 69 type relationship. Some of them are uh, uh, in antagonism. Some of them are dancing. Some of them are uh, static. So, I mean, I think there's, there's a whole range of expressive possibilities. I, for me, what you're applying to them um, isn't, doesn't bear itself out in the forms themselves. Yes, they look like they could be dancing or they could be doing this, but in terms of being living forms, I mean, actually twisting in the plane or having a dynamic of life, I find that there were, there were occasional instances in that show where along one edge you felt a tension in the, in the color right. against the form. And, and, and be, those would alert you to the fact that it wasn't happening in, in many other places for me. And so for me, you know, I demand that if it's going to dance, then you make the forms dance. You give them life. And so to me, they're a little bit DOA. I mean, they're attractive, they're charming, but in terms of being vital 
living forms in in a painting, they're they're kind of uh, they're kind of fey. They're they're kind of just there. Um, and again, they, they I, for me they deny you the the metaphors that they suggest because they're not alive. Um, coloristically, they're interesting, but the color you know it doesn't have a real real formal integrity for me. Um, you know that's what I demand from it. I mean that's you know when I come to that I'm saying give me what art gives me or give me what you know any painter gives me living breathing you know twisting moving dynamic life anyway. So that's my yeah. I think we're we're hitting it's, it's very well put of course but we're hitting a, 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 a subjective terrain where we can. I don't just... think it's subjective. I think it's a tradition that you learn, and it's the, it's the tradition of abstraction, which gets us to the next painter, yes. um, who, you know, basically is pissing on the tradition, I think. Um, it's just kind of like, there's, I think there's a whole tradition out there now of, and, the, and I think, did, who did the article in Art in America recently? Rafael Rubinstein, yeah, Rafael Rubinstein about, provisional. Um, exactly, about provisional abstraction. So like, it's, like, it's like one eye closed painting, you know? It's like, uh, whatever. <laughs> you know, and you know what? If I don't work hard, you don't have to work hard either. Just put it on the wall; it's all decorative. Who gives a shit? And I think that for me, there's very little integrity. But which one are you talking walls. about? Well, you mentioned walls, about, so I think you must have mentioned yeah, Flor Florian. Yeah, I'm talking about Florian now. Any, right. Anyway, but um, yeah, I think that there's a. When you mentioned pissing, I thought of the floor, but no, no, yeah, I exactly. That, I wall. <laughs> uh, right. um, okay, let's move on to Florian. Um, but I, I, but but let's also say, however, that. Um, no, it's saying, oh, it's not subjective because there's a tradition and a received language, but each artist has to reinvent that tradition, and, and artists are entitled to have yeah, very different but, but, agendas. Um, but, to but, say, uh, to say extend that because, the tradition, don't reinvent it. To say that because yeah. ARP are, are compelling organic shapes, if you have anything that reminds me of ARP, you have to be a compelling and organic shape, it says, well, maybe actually Gorchovs are more compelling for kind of being maybe a bit subdued, and a bit, and maybe in fact the um, kind of ideographic quality in them uh, um, carries a weight, more weight, a weight that would have been kind of cliched if they'd been organic. So mm. organic is if a organic. painting is dead, it's cliché. No, I'm saying. I mean, if a form is dead. No, no, it's not. A, it's not. We're not talking about dead. We're saying you've 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 put forward organic as being the yardstick. Well, I'm just saying. No, no, I'm just saying that that he's coming out of that tradition. He's referring to... Not he, he's, yeah, well, yes, he not, is. He's, not he's, totally he's, 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 no, he's unaware of it. He may be unaware of he's it. He's not unaware of anything, but, but the tradition but is so rich that you don't have to be indebted to ARP to use a shaped canvas. No, Why not I'm be not indebted to Ellsworth Kelly? I'm, no, I'm say, well, and Ellsworth Kelly is another person to bring up because Ellsworth Kelly's forms are alive. They have tension. They have life. And Gorchov's forms, whether it's, whether it's by choice or not, do not have that kind of, you know, what I what I want, which is, you know, Maddie. I would say that they they by choice are, are deliberately are not being uh, big, strong, high energy, emphatic, uh, high chroma forms, but they have a kind of insouciance, a kind of holding back, a kind of reticence, a kind of dullness of color in a sort of jolly laid kind of way that makes them rather interesting. If you look at say. Jack Bush's paintings that were on show recently. They also have that very dusty, murky kind of uh, color quality going on, and that made them distinct and, and oh, more interesting. I thought that he was playing with the dusty, murky color quality up against the hyper-pigmented kind of poppy color. I thought that work was so beautiful with the, it was like a dusty lilac, 
and then the poppy colored forms. Oh, is, was that the tension you were yeah. kind of talking about with the? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw that one as being alive, maybe more than the other ones. But I, that's true. It wasn't something that I, I. You would think that the forms lands are gimmicky, maybe. No, well, no, it's not. I just think that they're not really embracing what they're coming out of. I don't think that they're knowledgeable enough. I don't think that they're they have enough integrity um, of what a form like that that is. Um, suggestive of many things um, and yet nothing specific which is that's why I'm bringing up art where, where where you're kept in a transition a metaphoric transition but the metaphors have to be brought to bear they mm -hmm. have to you know you have to transfer that weight you have to move it you have to be very clear about your ambiguity about what you're holding me between and and that's why I would say ARP is is you know a master of that kind of, of and that he is coming out of that, you know, he's, like it or not, he's coming out of that tradition by pulling, by, by doing forms that Arp did. Um, you can't, you can't have it both ways, you know, it's, uh, if you're going to refer back to that, you know, then you are treading in that, on that ground, you know, that, mm -hmm. that, it's, I just can't don't understand, I don't just don't understand, honestly, uh, you know, and even though I think I, you know, I'm not so far away from you in, my uh, feeling about Gorchov's paintings, and in a way, you know, as you're going, it's funny because as you're going along, you're kind of, you start out saying, well, you know, I don't like any of these three painters so much, but uh, he's the one that's the most interesting. But, you know, as you go on, you're kind of running him further and further down uh, as if he wasn't really interesting at all. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I think he is pretty interesting, even though it doesn't quite it doesn't quite do it for me but it just amazes me to hear you sitting here um and talking about you know dare i say it kind of an old guy who's been painting and painting and painting for years and years and years and probably you know knows a very great deal about about painting and its history and uh, talking as if you're kind of his uh uh, teacher saying, well, you have to learn this and you have to learn that. And, you know, he's, fig he's figured out for himself, he's learned it, he's figured out for himself what he thinks he does and doesn't need to use anymore. It's not on that level, you know, whatever the objection is, it's not on the level of, you know, you've either got to do this or, or you, you know, you don't pass the course. I, I, you know, it's not, it's just uh, not like that. I, I would defend Lance's right to be as uh, bloody uh, minded as he likes, though. Uh, Barry, my problem with uh, Lance is not that he's being mean to Sam. Sam, Sam let's be gentle to Ron because he's in his. Uh, no, I'm not saying, oh, excuse I'm, me, no, excuse no. me. I never said let's be gentle, but I'm just just saying, you know, don't think that you know more than him. Well, you know was, different things than I was him. Trained Undoubtedly, as a we all and, we all and know so different I things. I learned a certain language, and and then you know, I I, I don't want to start excusing painters. You know, because they don't know the language. But so but, you know, but you know, you know, you learn you learn from you learn painting from from a guy who doesn't even understand Barnett Newman. What do you? I don't no. think you know. Anything. <laughs> you know, sorry, I'm I, sorry. I actually, you know, for, I actually you, studied you, abstraction with um, descendants of Mondrian. Um, but beyond that, that's not really the issue. The issue is that when you come for me, when 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 I come to a work of art. And if it's not, you know, I compare it. I'm making aesthetic judgments. I'm making comparisons. I'm saying, what do I get? What does this remind me of? Well, it reminds me of art. Well, what is it not giving me? Or what is it giving me? That it's not art giving me art. Of course, it's not it's giving not you art. Well, this is not art. But, but this, is, this is the problem because but I mean, art about is not a language. Yes, art, it is. Art is language, and then artists speak one of 
dozens and dozens form, of languages. Form is a language. If you say, form, you know, if, you, if, you, if you say, look, I've studied English literature, I'm reading Racine, he's sort of reminding me of Shakespeare, he's not giving it to me, there's too many rhymes, this is a little, you can, of course, deconstruct I'm not Racine about for that. not being I'm talking about gibberish versus of, something you understand. No, but Racine like, and Shakespeare are neither of them gibberish. I know, they're both, I'm not, they both epigenes the of classical forms. They have but different, right, they have one different. One is French and one is English. Okay, but they have, they have different sensibilities, okay, but they're both speaking a language language that can be understood. They're using words that we understand. But okay? when you, when you, when you reduce... That using, that's look, the language. Unless you're bilingual, one of them you're going to read in translation. Well, and, then, and then, even if you were bilingual, you get into a different spirit when you listen to and think and, yeah, and not, read French than with I, English. Well, yeah. But uh, the, the, I'm glad you're not arguing with that because there's no point bringing up to uh, Gorchov simply because Gorchov's shaped canvases make you... Think of no, art. No, I'm talking about the forms he's putting on them that are art forms. They're Those not are art forms. That they're art, not art forms. That, they, yeah, are, they, are, they, they are. They are forms that could remind you of art, but they could also remind you of um, uh, hieroglyphs. Yes. So yes, therefore, art, uh, therefore, why not go to Egypt and then leave out? Well, they don't. No, I don't know. I wouldn't call them hieroglyphs. Um, you know, that's call a different feet. language too. But they're, they're both abstract, at least. But here's the, here's the difference, okay? With hieroglyphs and art, there's a connection where they're using the plane as a field that is malleable, where they're putting forms in that field and getting the plane to become elastic, to use Hoffman's term, push-pull, to keep the, the plane and the, the, there's an organic um, integration of the plane with the forms that are embedded in it. And the ancient Egyptians did that, as did art. And what I'm saying is that you've got Gorchov who's working out of that tradition that goes all the way back to ancient Egypt. Thank you for bringing it up. But he is not creating the kind of tension in the plane that art and the Egyptians do. And so for me, he's not speaking the language that he has adopted as well as he could be. So, you know, call it ancient, you know, go to ancient Egypt or go to, um, you know, he's not exploring that, that particular way, uh, that tradition, in, as, as well as I would like. That's all. Uh, I, as I said, I, I still think the paintings are... I thought they were charming. I thought there was a, you know, they were certainly compelling in certain ways. I thought the color was kind of Pompeian. I mean, there, there are things about them that I thought were somewhat gorgeous. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to an extreme here in terms of talking about sure. what I would like more of. Fair in enough. The work. Fair enough. Um, uh, Douglas Florian, uh, we've, we've, we've uh, had um, Lance's take on Douglas Florian. Is that something you would accept, Maddie, or would you like to make a case for Douglas Florian? What was your take? I'm sorry. Uh, I don't remember something. Pissing and uh, oh. something, uh, something <laughs> yeah. fluid. No, I, I <laughs> said they're kind of, uh, it's nonchalant. It's, it's, oh, he I see. he, he right. saw them as being extreme nonchalant. I haven't worked hard. You don't have to work hard. Um, and well, um, I found that some of, he obviously did work hard on some of them, <laughs> right? Um, well, maybe, you know, long, but maybe not hard. <laughs> well, so, my I mean, point is... And who cares how long it took. Right. My point is, the ones that did look more worked, the ones that were more layered, the ones that where parts were rubbed away, I thought were more interesting, just vi simply visually interesting, than the sort of more figurative... There were some skeletal sort of and some heart shapes that I just didn't care about at all and I found to be incredibly decorative. And fine to look at, but not interesting. Um, Barry? It's funny because uh, in this case, uh, I'm really amazed that uh, 
that Lance could say that he seems uh, kind of offhand and uh, to be nonchalant about it's provisional. Yeah, I mean, I had the exact opposite view. If I would, you know, I would start my critique from uh, from wondering uh, why he felt he had to be so earnest uh, in, about these things that didn't necessarily need to be as earnest as uh, as they were made to feel, I thought. Um, so, so I'm actually a little puzzled that we could have such opposite, you know, sense of the sensibility that was uh, put into these paintings. And it makes me wonder, in a funny way, whether uh, maybe the paintings aren't something different than what either of us thought. Um, and I wish we could, I could go back there and check it out again. Um, you know, to me, it seemed uh, that, I mean, I, I, I like the paintings fairly well. I wished it would, had been kind of a more edited show. Um, be, but, uh, but if I kind of looked at the ones that I found the most interesting, uh, I, I liked the way he kind of tried to integrate shape with surface. I guess that's essentially how I would put it. You know, figure ground, you could say in a different way. Um, the, the funny thing about it is how it seemed to me that every painting had some bright red in it and with some exceptions usually it was bright red that was kind of uh, kind of seeping up from from uh, kind of the, the background ground, yes. mm -hmm. and uh, that was kind of his sort of uh, go-to device mm -hmm. to sort of make the ground become the most uh, forefront yes. uh, forefronted uh, thing in the painting and to, to try and uh, unify things and mm -hmm. I kind of wished uh, he hadn't uh, resorted to that so, um, so frequently frequently I, I actually found myself wishing uh, but for similar reasons the opposite of what you wished for I, I wish the show was less edited because um, I find him a very s satisfying but small kind of artist he he is if, if Gorchov is 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 a is a full meal uh, Florian is sweets, they're candy. Um, and I think what he does, he does gorgeously. He's an artist who comes out of, uh, well, he, he has his day job, so to speak, is making children's books. And uh, if we saw, as in previous shows, uh, one with, with Florian, if we've seen a great many more and works on paper, they become, they really sparkle and they're just, you can't, you just, you just want more and more. They are like candy. They're, they're, they're uh, sweet. They're not very good for you, and you don't really, you don't really get more from one than the other. It's not actually an artist that one benefits enormously by going around saying this one is more interesting than that one. There almost are a continuity, and uh, that that does identify him as a not a major artist. But I feel as I feel there's a, there's a lot of space in our culture for wonderful minor artists as well as uh, you know. But it's, it it does amaze me to misread uh, as I, I feel these are. I mean. This, this is open to debate and conjecture, but it's extraordinary when you consider, you've mentioned Tuttle already, who's a wonderful artist, when you consider the range of kinds of um, provisionalism, informality, uh, nonchalance that, that exists within abstract art, you think of somebody like um, 
sort of Joe Fife or James Hyde, or um, you think about the, the French support surface artists, when you think about uh, all those Brooklyn people, uh, Chris Martin, all that, there's your provisional painting. This, as I agree with Barry, this is pretty earnest and um, uh, worked up and thought through and felt and intuited um, art. So it, it's, it's very, very, I mean, you're entitled, to, everyone's entitled to not like them, everyone's entitled to be dismissive of them. But I think just if we're interested in the notion of provisional painting, hate it, love it or hate it, this just isn't provisional painting. But would you insist that it, it is? I mean, is it? I, I, uh, I found that there were things to like within the paintings, but, but generally for me, they were not composed. I think it was very rare that, that the scale um, and what went on inside the scale, the rectangle, was um, really made sense. Um, they, and to me, they, they often kind of fell into a decorative. Um, Anyway, into that yeah. room. Um, I, I, felt there, I feel like the forms are often meandering within, um, or that the scale, that the, the painting could be bigger or smaller, and it kind of wouldn't really make a lot of difference. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and when that happens, then that's, you know, uh, what do you say? You know, if it doesn't matter if it's longer or shorter or whatever. Right, you know, right. Or small, you know. um, then, then what? Well, then, that then makes if it, it doesn't matter, then, yeah, then, then why is it? And then it becomes provisional in a sense. I mean, yeah, it's not as... I, I found that each one set its own scale, its own tempo, its own mood. I didn't, find, I didn't think any of them um, fail within in themselves to have a definable texture, mood, orientation, but... Um, so, so therefore, I, for me, provisional painting is very much a kind of painting that you feel is, was yanked out the studio before it was finished. It, didn't, it could, could have carried on working. It could have had, it, it's, all, it's playing with lessness. Um, although, uh, maybe maybe it's, you shouldn't make too much of this provisional painting idea. In a sense, that's just another way to re-articulate the recurrent issue since Manet, you know, about whether, when and whether a painting is finished. And, yes. uh... It sounds Manet like was kind of flippant, too, in a way, right? I mean, he was a little bit flippant as a painter. You know, probably this tradition begins, provisional painting probably begins with Manet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was probably the best provisional painter mm -hmm. who ever lived, but, uh, yeah, that kind of what, you know, like, I'm gonna do it and not do it, you know, I'm gonna upset you, which he did. He upset a lot of people. Yeah. Well, Jackson Pollock said, uh, was asked, how do you know when a painting is finished? And he said, how do you know when you've finished having sex? Uh, yeah. So, um, oh, well, that's, that's not that's, good enough. Well, Joe well, no, Schneider I mean, said the same thing. You know, so. Well, but with Pollock, it's incredibly apt. Orgasmically. Orgasmically apt. Well, I kind of want that from a painting. I want, I want an orgasm. You know, I want life. life. I mean, that's what an orgasm is, right? It's the yeah. beginning of life, right? Well, it's the little death, I was told. Or the little death, right. Well, are something's got to give every time. Are you coming or are you going? As uh, <laughs> the Japanese writer, or are we right uh, about but, orgasms? But I think this idea of provisional painting is something that, that, that was, oh, oh, if only he'd worked on it seven more minutes or something. You know, I, I think you can work on a painting or on anything for 
you know, 40 years, mm. and it could still be provisional. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter uh, how worked up it is or, or how much we feel you've been yeah. you know, yes. at the grindstone yeah. every day in time. there, sanding it down and starting over, you know, good no for you. Points. you yes. know, but, yes. you know, then, you know, does it float? You know, right. does yeah. it work? Right. Uh, who cares how long it took? Um, or what is, what's being referred to? Because provisionalism is something you've referred to, too. Um, Maddie, Polly, um, can we ignore the issue of... It's an interesting, very, very interesting uh, issue to me, the issue of effort. Of course, I think we'd all agree it's ridiculous to uh, award brownie points for effort or to slap people on the wrist for having painted a masterpiece too quickly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, of course, uh, you know, the, the artist does her work in her studio or wherever, and uh, we get to look at it. But um, with Finney, oh, sorry, with uh, Applebaum, um, there is uh, um, uh, there is a kind of ethic of accumulation, if you mm -hmm. like. Um, how do you relate to the way the thing has been made and the, the sense of effort in the way thing has, the thing has been made in as relation a, to the experience you get from it? As a woman? As a, as a woman? <laughs> as a young person? As a, <laughs> no, no stereotyping, no essentialism um, permitted on this panel. As a, as a fully equal member of our panel, how do you feel? I found the, I found the two shows to be incredibly different, obviously. Um, I thought that the, uh, I couldn't tell if the glitter, I forget what it was called now, not the Flatland. Flatland, yes. No, no, no. Flatterland. Flatterland. Flatterland is the one, uh, is the one on the floor. Oh, it is? Okay. And the table's okay. a Flatland. Um, I couldn't tell if Flatland was a joke. I think it was kind of a joke, right? It was a joke about craft and uh, craft. I found. Mm. Um, it was also a joke about composition. They were very interested in the literature about um, the material and the fact that the material could have, that kind of glittery material could have been read as minerals or, you know, mica or drugs um, or glitter. Um, but I thought it was, you know, I wasn't particularly interested in the forms that she created to, um, those forms that she rolled out, that she put mm. the glitter on, those sort of plastic like things. Yeah. Uh, um, I didn't care much for those. Well, it was a Hansel and Gretel garden Gary, wasn't it? So it made me think of cake and things. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was very delicious. Right. Gave me indigestion. I, I want to go back to the, the floor piece, which I think the was The floor piece real, was beautiful. Right? So I let's thought, talk about the floor piece. I thought, all right, so we're not doing the glitter piece. I thought the floor piece was beautiful. I thought that the floor piece, um, again, had, it was a commentary on issues of women's work and craft, and it, it was incredibly evocative, obviously, in a way that the glitter was not, and maybe it was trying to be. Mm. Um, but I thought that, the, you know, it was... It was a beautiful work. It was, you know, obviously evocative of tie-dye and quilting. Um, and I think from her other work, it just seemed very hard. And I was telling a friend today, it seemed very Brooklyn Museum. Oh. It was very... Define that for us. Well, it was just very Elizabeth A. Sackler Center uh, oh, for Feminist Art. Oh, okay. Yeah. And not, and not in any sort of bad way, but it uh -huh. seemed like it was very so it's invested. The dinner party. This is the rug to go right, with the dinner party. <laughs> right. For example. Okay. For example. Yikes. Well, um, like, oh, well, I don't hate the dinner party. I'm the um, no, no, no. I mean, you, but uh, but no, that's that's a take. That's fasc that's fascinating. That's why one has this panel to hear something one would never have dreamt of oneself, and then bounce yeah. bounce it around. Barry, 
Uh, do you buy that line on Apfelbaum? Um, the 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 Elizabeth Sackler center line. That line. Yes. Um, not yes and no. In yes, in the sense that I think that is somehow. Uh, I think that's very much part of the background of the work. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I think in a way it's like the saddle form for. Um, um, Gorchov. Gorchov. Uh, sorry. Um, it's, you know, Polly has been working with that for so long now, and she's been developing it, and, uh, you know, trying to kind of pull out all the possible uh, variations on it for so long that, in a way, I kind of take that background as kind of red, and, uh, then I just kind of go on to look at it in a way, maybe in a much more formalist uh, way, just in terms of well, how is she actually composing with these uh, pieces uh, this time, and how is she, in this case, incorporating the, uh, the squares cut into the form by the columns, and mm -hmm. the, the way she's playing with kind of the, uh, there's so many kind of linear uh, forms that kind of go from the edges toward, you know, the various uh, centers uh, of the piece versus uh, areas that are more kind of um, uh, not vectorial. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I just thought she, she kind of handled all that, and there's a lot of that, uh, you know, just really in a kind of beautiful way. Yeah. Yeah. Were you transported by this magic carpet? I wasn't really engaged with it. Um, I, uh, you know, I, it, I got it as a kind of overall thing, and um, we're talking about the floor work. Yes. Um, you know, it was a kind of a, I think there was a little tension between in it between the chaotic and the structure, you know, the chaos and structure. There was something about that kind of big bang quality to it. Um, but I, I, I wasn't, uh, I felt like there was a lot of, of effort put into it with maybe, you know, it, it became a kind of art about minutia um, that where the payoff wasn't as large perhaps as the, uh, the amount of, mm -hmm. you know, all the detail, all the little touching, all the, um, anyway. But, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> yeah. it takes I, up a lot of space. Yeah. But, you I, know, I saw people touching it when I was in there. Oh, really? Touch, touch. Yeah, they were touching it, yeah. Mm. And saying, I just can't not touch it. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, like, it's a velvet just, thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a crushed velvet huh. thing. Yeah. You know? well, you should, um, I can't not kick you in the ass and give them a kick in the ass. Um, to me, they're like uh, Pollock meets Klimt. And, um, How long did it take you to think of that? I just, just thought about it at this moment. I just thought about it at this moment. And those are two painters I like, but I never would have thought of putting them together. And therefore, I give her kudos for um, having me put Klimt and Pollock together. All overness, splatter, intensity, decoration, the, the, the meaning of decoration, etc. All overness, but less. Uh, it's le not, not the compelling gestalt of a Jackson Pollock, that is true. Yeah, not that it's less compelling for that reason, but it's not seeking to be... It's not less compelling in itself, but it, it doesn't make 
uh, a unified energy made visible gestalt, it's um, sine qua non. That's right. true. But uh, I liked her. I like it. And I hope she has a good time in Rome. Ladies and gentlemen, do you have any comments on uh, the three shows we've been debating here? We've been debating it rather vehemently, and I see rather a lot of rather distinguished uh, abstract painters uh, in the audience. Uh, there may be some very distinguished uh, photographers and video makers in the audience that I'm too ignorant to know by face. But I do see quite a lot of... Uh, I see some artists who've actually been discussed on this panel. I've seen some critics who've been on this panel who are abstract painters. So. I do hope we do get some feedback from you. Marshall. David, um, I know you, you hate it when the audience kicks a question back to the panel, but in this case, I just can't help myself. Go for it. Lance. <laughs> uh, one rule, though, is that a question you put is a question to all of us. Okay, all of you. We're a Politburo. We, we answer um, sort of one. But it might be clear who this is directed toward. Are, are there any living artists that you actually do like? <laughs> oh, many, 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 yeah. Yes. All right, are there any living abstract painters um, who uh, would help us see the, the weakness of Florian and Gorchok, for instance? Well, I think Ellsworth Kelly is uh, a master. Um, I, think, uh, I think Joan Snyder is pretty far up there. Um, I mean, there are two very different sensibilities, but still, as far as I'm concerned, working out of, um, you know, very, very different sensibilities, working out of the same tradition. Maybe not well, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, Carol, but wait for the mic, if you would, behind you. After seeing the uh, Florian show, uh, we went to see Tom Neskowski. And as far as I'm concerned, Tom Noskowski is trying to do everything that um, a lot of painters are trying to do, but doing it on a much higher level. He really manages to bring it all together. And I think he's one who's contemporary, so we could look at him in that light. Yeah, again, I think it's a sort of apples and oranges problem, though. I mean, Noskowski has an agenda that is completely discreet from uh, Florian and to simply say, oh, but they're both abstract and they're both painters. And uh, Yes, okay, we can have a third agenda, our own, and then say Noskowski is closer to me than Florian uh, in my agenda. But I, I, I feel that I have to, when I look at art, I need to balance what I need and want from it with an intelligent approximation or sense of the built-in intentionality of that work. And it seems to me that um, uh, Douglas Florian and Thomas Moskowski, besides being nice guys who paint and are alive at the moment, um, really just not, uh, not moving in the same direction. So I wouldn't expect them to arrive at the same destination. David, can you think of someone who is sort of in the same game as Florian and could you compare them as more or less... Uh, successful in, in what they're trying to achieve? That is a very valid, fair, and decent question. Uh, and I'm sh but I can't. Uh, I, I can, and I, I, I've, I do strongly sense that there are um, quite probably some people who would fit that bill. I I'll probably remember it over dinner or <laughs> the night. Um, 
could you think of somebody uh, who's uh, in very much the same territory as Florian then? It's, it's funny because uh, it's past not, as well as present. It's not that I think he's you know, such a, you know, got such a unique project. Uh, it does seem to me that I see periodically other painters around that uh, are kind of aiming at similar things. It's hard to really pinpoint one, but somehow I want to say that he's, uh, and I don't know if he, where he went to school or if he went to art school or, you know, what his uh, background is, but when I look at it, I think oh, it's kind of, it's kind of a New York studio school uh no? No, no, no. Because no, no. I used to, I used I to know so. a bunch of those people. They, some of them, I think, would have been aiming, aiming in this kind of direction. I don't touch it. Actually, funny enough, you mentioned else with Kelly Lance. If you look at that red form and then look at Kelly's work he did in Paris in the late forties. Uh, actually, this Florian, I think, is a has a very old-fashioned sensibility, and that actually a lot of Latin American artists of the fifties and forties and fifties where this work would have looked very at home. Um, so I, I, I think it's um, uh, actually all, also a contemporary painter, like uh, who I, I think Florian is a bit better than, uh, is um, uh, Caio Fonseca. So I think, yeah, there are definitely uh, quite a lot of people uh, who make, I mean, with Noskowski, his prolific artist, but every single one of them you look at it, you immediately know it's a Noskowski. It's a Noskowski's handwriting, Noskowski's language, Noskowski's range of interests. But each and every one of them, if you can disagree with me on Gorchov, but most people who like Noskowski would agree with me on Noskowski. Each one of them is absolutely, oh, that is that piece. That's that one. Yes, it relates to that other one, but that is that one. With Fonseca and with Florian, um, you, you're basically, with each painting, and this is where I think Lance has a good point about arbitrary cutoff. Uh, with each painting, um, it's like a slice of a very big pie. Um, and another slice would have given you, okay, a little bit less fruit, a little more pastry. It partly has to do with Fonseca's uh, process, which is you know, almost an Achilles heel. Yes. Because he, from what I understand, you know, having been to a studio that he creates these forms and then, you know, he puts down, I think, a ground and then creates forms over them and, and to mm -hmm. let the ground come through it. And there's almost, I think there's, at a certain point, he can't reinvent it because he has to keep what, you know, it's a process of, of addition that, that can, yeah. does not have subtraction or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway. But. Yes. Absolutely wonderful, of course. No, there are a few people who want to make comments. Um, yeah. um, it's hard to kind of articulate this, but I'll Try. Can you literally uh, articulate it? Because the mic is either not working okay. or, or the air conditioning is too loud. I can't hear you. Is that better? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so talking about Gorchov, his work is in the territory of hybrid work, as is Polly's. And I was trying to follow you on uh, you panel, specifically on the left. Um, the imagery also, I think, is wants to slip away from any sort of uh, traditional or obvious um, uh, strictures or, 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 or um, associations. And so with Polly's work, there's paint on the um, material and then it's layered 
on the floor in the space and behaves more like sculpture and the forms of Gorbachev's come off the wall and flirt with you but they never really come into your space and the 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 sort of um, atmospheric quality of the paint and the image on top of that kind of I don't know in my opinion they they meld perfectly um, I don't ask a lot of those beans I call um, beans or pods or nose you know eyeball you know there's sort of, there's sort of these um, little moments and so it's not really a it's not really a question that I have. It's more a comment about mm, a curiosity about your ideas of hybridity in the work. I didn't see the apple bomb as being particularly sculptural, um, least of all just because it was flat. <laughs> but is it because of the layered, the paint on, on the fabric that you were feeling like actually talking I'm, I was referring to the layering of the work itself you know the layers that that eventually get built uh -huh. up the, the uh -huh. fact that they're on the floor uh -huh. like an Andre but not oh like an Andre an Andre they're not allowed Obvious. to walk on yeah yeah <clears throat> I see them coming out of the tradition of collage actually but that form that, that work I see them in, as, as, as so much art that's in a uh, uh, interminable argument with minimal art and, and, and an attempt to re-maximalize but acknowledging and working through minimal art. So I think uh, uh, Andre is a good call. Yes, you do because we're recording and we won't pick you up at all. Please, sorry. Thanks, Rose. Um, I just have to say I was a little bit shocked that, that someone said that they thought that Polly's work belonged in the Sackler Center. Because, I mean, I, I, yeah, I find that quite a sh kind of strange thing to say because the whole point of her showing her work in that gallery, in that context, I would have thought, was not to be restricted to that context. Um, and, yeah, I find that quite, yeah, I don't know, I was just kind of, like, really quite shocked by that comment that... Yeah. yeah. Okay. I can't really express it anymore. anymore. Yeah. Shock is good. <laughs> we want you to be awed as well, though. But um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't make the comment, so I mean, I should did, interpose. But, uh, uh, but uh, it did make sense to me to hear it said. And uh, look, I mean, there's there's a very specific, uh, you know, women's tradition, if you want to call it a tradition, maybe it's too young still to be called quite a tradition, but a lineage. Uh, it's a feminist one. It is, uh, you know, Linda Benglis with her works on the floor. Uh, it is uh, an artist who was really important to a lot of people uh, who maybe a lot of people don't hear, don't know, or don't remember because she kind of disappeared, called Lauren Zold, uh, who made uh, work on the floor and influenced a lot of people in New York. And um, I think Polly uh, is, is part of that. doesn't mean that she's limited uh, no. to that, but uh, it's, it's, I think it must be part of her inspiration. And also, I'm a little surprised uh, if you're going off to Buffalo to study queerness as well, because mm. it seems that, uh, like, I um, don't know if I'm going off on a limb here, but like, like Mary Heilman, uh, as well as being a, a feminist uh, artist, there is 
there is a kind of gayness in um, Apfelbaum. And saying, oh, it's very sacrosanct, almost sounds like it's saying, if uh, gender and sexuality uh, issues animate your work, you belong in that wing of a museum that dealt right. with that. Right. Why not right. put everything in a wing of a museum? Right. Uh, uh, so, uh, do you want to defend that, or are you? Um, it's not what I meant. No, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I didn't mean it to be. Yeah. But if you only restrict it to that, if you only put it in that place... Oh, right, no, and I wouldn't restrict it to that, and I wouldn't just put it in that place. Um, I don't think that that place is such a tiny box, either. I think that to talk about feminist work in general and American women making feminist work is a far more broad category. It was a reference point, more than literally a space <laughs> and a restrictive box. Um, but what? Uh, so you think her work is queer in that? Um, well, it, just by introducing um, color, I don't think I don't think um, homosexual people have a, 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 a monopoly on color. But I think that she was influenced by. Funnily enough, we could have put her with um, uh, Stan Douglas because actually seventies disco and funk uh, definitely informed her early chromatic sensibility. Yeah. And that was sort of bringing um, some, I believe, uh, well, certainly... That's going to take further, further take us a long way no, for well, me, but... Yes. I'm interested that you bring up Stan Douglas, because in a lot of the literature that talked about the work, they talked about disco as being this underground gay movement, and I didn't see that. Well, that's a kind of dog strap. Well, that was the one... Okay, fine. All right, because so you saw ass cheeks. I don't think that that makes it gay per se, um, and I don't think that it was speaking to. Oh, and maybe the masculine woman. Yes. Well, um, yeah. No, I, I thought that that was. I, I didn't find that to be particularly pertinent, and I didn't. It certainly was politically queer. Right. 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 Yeah. There's more. There was more in the press release than the work. Right. But um, great. Any any further comments on the three abstract? Um, painters we've been thinking about. Otherwise, I'd say thank you very much and see you all in September.